the stoic is the kind of person who will both not care or care very much, right? They will they will not make a big deal out of it, or they will make a very strong deal out of it. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's really the approach. That's really the the overall lesson here is like there's another line with Epictetus where he's like, you know, somebody insults him and he's like, well, I must have not known all my other flaws, or he would have said those too, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so it's like in some cases, there's I I don't care. Uh, I'm going to be very light, very easygoing on the things I don't care about. Very strong, very secure on the things I do care about, and mm-hmm. that requires that kind of self knowledge. And I think that's a pretty healthy picture, right? Welcome to Stoa Conversations. My name is Caleb Monteveros. And I'm Michael Trombley. And today we're going to be talking about the issue of boundaries, setting healthy boundaries. What does that look like? What kind of advice or strategies did the Stoics give us for you know managing this uh, feature that comes up really in every human relationship? Yeah couple reasons why I wanted to talk about this one. Um, one, it was a, it's a listener request and always appreciate when we get those. Um, so something that people are, if you're ever interested in uh, hearing us chat about something, let us know and we're happy to dig into it. But the other, another reason is that, as you said, boundary setting, yeah, I think it's an important part of any sort of healthy relationship, as you said whether that's with somebody you're closer with or even just in passing, it's just an important way of interacting with other people. Um, what I mean by boundaries is, is really kind of putting a, putting a, I guess a barrier up, uh, a clarity of saying like, you can't do that or I will not do that. A kind of a, a line in the sand and enforcing that line. The other reason, so one, I think that's a good thing to know how to do well. But I think that Stoics struggle with this, or I think that at least there can be a reason to think that Stoicism actually gives bad advice in this area, or that when you're practicing Stoicism, you can actually get worse at setting good boundaries. So I think, I think boundary setting is it's important to be healthy. I think Stoicism has good things to say about it, but I think Stoicism misunderstood or... Uh, even even understood pretty well, but not perfectly, can lead you to actually becoming worse at this important skill. So I wanted to go over three things. First, you know, why does why does boundary setting matter? Why do people think Stoicism or Stoics might struggle with this, or why might Stoics struggle with this? And then three, what is the actual Stoic position? So what actual advice would the Stoics have for this? Anything to add, Caleb, before we jump into it? No, that sounds great. That sounds great. Let's do it. So this is one of those it's one of those applied skills. So we'll be, we'll be I'll be referencing back to the Stoics, but you know this is part of the nitty gritty of how to live. So what is boundary setting and why does it matter? Um, I'm going to define it as when we decide to confront someone else around how they're treating externals, especially when it relates to ourselves. So it's when we, uh, yeah, I guess we have a confrontation. So we push for a different position than someone else has but concerning externals. Uh, so the Stoics thought of, of, they thought your virtue, your character is what matters. Um, and then they, that was the internal state. Everything outside of that is the external from your body to your property, um, to your reputation, to your job. This is all externals. And so I, I consider boundary setting when you get to a point where you're saying, you know, someone, if you take a simplest example with a kid, right? Somebody's playing with a ball and they steal your ball and you say, no, like you're not taking that ball. I'm keeping that ball, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, someone's playing on their playing on their phone in a movie theater and you're like, no, uh, you're going to turn, turn that phone off. <laughs> I, I'm setting a boundary here or you're, you're being loud, annoying in this library. Uh, I'm going to ask you to stop doing that. Or to, those are kind of simple things, those are transient examples, but things with your friends, close relationships. You know, maybe somebody talks to you in a way that you don't appreciate. Maybe somebody, um, maybe one of your friends doesn't get back to you often or is often late for things, right? And that, that's an external because there's one thing to say, the Stoic, the Stoic could always take this position of, well, you know, that doesn't have to do anything, that doesn't have anything to do with my character, that, that's just an uh a matter of, of the world outside of outside of me. I should accept my fate, so to speak. But 
we obviously don't want to be totally passive like that. We want to stake a claim. So boundary setting is, is this art of um, where, where do you stake those claims? Where do you have those confrontations? And how do you do that well? And I think, as I said, a boundary requires you to take a stance. So they require you to stand up for yourself and to push back against the interests of someone else if these go against your own interests. And I think that's, that's what can be hard for people. I know it's really hard for me. So I think some people it's not hard for at all. I have some friends, they have no problem advocating for themselves. I have a lot of trouble advocating for myself or something that I've worked on, which is to say I, I'm, I'm quick to downplay. If the only thing being harmed is myself, I'm quick to downplay that situation. And it's, it's, it's hard for me to stand up or to, to set that boundary if it's only in my own interest. I know I'm, I'm pretty good at that if somebody's insulting a friend of mine or if somebody's kind of stepping, doing something that harms somebody else that I care about. But I'm, I'm usually pretty quick to diminish myself in these situations, or at least I have been in the past. Um, so that's, that's, what, that's what boundary setting is, as I'll define it for this conversation. Anything that you want to clarify there? Yeah, just to add some more teeth to why I think some Stoics might struggle with this. I think if you get better at practicing stoicism you might recognize well if something initially appears to be a problem i can either solve that problem or solve my view about that problem you know i can change the world i can change my attitude and as people improve at stoicism they get better at changing their attitudes so they might think in certain situations at work you know yes this is an annoying request that I get pretty often, so I'm just going to do it and uh, change my view about the request. And in some cases, of course, that's a perfectly excellent thing to do. In other cases, you might find yourself looking back, you know, or I think probably this, at least personally, mo most often how it happened is saying, oh, I probably should have gotten, gotten off the train there or something like that. You know, that, that request was the sort of thing that I should have pushed back on, right? It wasn't, um, wasn't ideal in, in, in the longer term. Um, for what I wanted to be doing, even though in the moment, I, yeah, sure, I can change my view about it. So just, just some more detail on, I think, why many Stoics, many people who might not even recognize themselves as Stoics, but have this ability to focus more on changing their attitude than changing the world might run into this more often than others. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. So when you hit that kind of, when you're in that kind of intermediate level, or you, you, know, you start learning Stoicism or taking it seriously, it, there's this incredible empowerment that comes to recognize, oh, to become happy, I don't just have to shift and move around the outside world. I can shift and move around my inside world. And it almost becomes like a cheat code, right? I can always reframe the way I'm looking at this. I can always pick it up by the other handle. I can always, you know, uh, a more fatty my way through any sort of situation. And so when you end up in this, when you end up in a confrontation, well, you can move or they can move. And the stoic is um, not only inclined or good at moving themselves, which is to say changing their perspective, is what I mean by that, but they're also, they also have more arguments for why they should change themselves. Arguments about how you know, external results matter less than you might think, confrontation. And if, if, if those external results matter less, you know, if it, uh, then confrontation has less of a necessity. You're not really being forced to fight for your life, so to speak, or forced to be fighting over your happiness because your happiness doesn't depend on really setting that boundary, I would say. Um, so that's something I might call, so that was the second part I wanted to go, go into is why does Stoics struggle from this? What you said, Caleb, I think I would call like the problem of passivity in general. This view that people have around indifference in general, which is this view of, well, if all that matters is the internal and getting that right, changing my perspective or uh, having a good character, then I have no real reason to really uh, stake a claim in the external world or especially not difficult ones, right? Maybe I can go and go for a walk and uh, enjoy nature and things like this, but, you know, getting in a fight with my coworker, well, that seems like mm -hmm. a lot of work. And I probably should only do that if I have a good reason. And stoicism tells me I don't have a good reason to have a fight with a coworker. I should change my perspective, view, forgive them for their faults, view them as, uh, you know, uh, another obstacle to overcome, to reveal to me an opportunity to practice my, my patience so I won't have that fight, right? And that you end up with a very kind of passive approach to problems in your life. So that's, that's I would say, reason number one. Um, the other reason 
and these are all kind of interrelated, but another reason why the Stoic might have problem setting boundaries uh, is this view that externals can't harm you. So mm-hmm. if the Stoic thinks that they're dependent upon a good character for happiness, then well, then nobody else can harm you. Only your perspectives can harm you or only the way that you view situations or react to them can harm you. So if you take this view, I would say too literally, or if you take it out of context, you end up this position, well, I don't need to stand up to that bully. They can't really harm me. I don't need to, uh, as I said, have that fight with that coworker or that difficult relate conversation with a family member. These people can't harm me. Um, so another, another thing is that if you take that view, another reason, so there's the passivity, there's this idea that you can't be harmed, which I guess encourages passivity. Another thing that encourages passivity is this idea that the way I framed a boundary was you have to make, you have to actually push back against somebody else's interests. So boundary requires confrontation and conflict. And a conflict requires making somebody else unhappy. And so if, if you have the stoic view and you think, well, I have all I need to be happy, then you might think you need a very good reason to go and make somebody else unhappy, to have a conflict that ends up with somebody else crying, angry at you, upset. That can be very hard. And I, I relate to this all from, from experience. I think if you're kind of a passive, uh, more of a, a gentler person, it can be difficult to have a confrontation not just because you have to stand up for yourself, but because you know it's going to make the other person upset. And if you're a stoic, you might think, well, I don't have a good reason for justifying that because I can, again, change my perspective. I can do the work on my side without having to, to, um, without having to put, them, put them out, right, or, or upset. Right, right. Interesting that there's sort of an opposite problem that I think some people might have, which is that they realize that not only can they not be harmed by others in the sense that others are an obstacle to their happiness, but they also think, uh, when I do these things, it's the other person who's in charge of how they react to what I do. And that's, it's funny, that's a common criticism of Stoicism. And then also probably some set of people might, uh, you know, be, have the sort of the opposite issue where they expect others to, you know, handle their own business and, you know, how they respond, that's up to them. It's, not nothing, no concern of mine. Um, so it's just it's just funny that there's an opposite opposite problem, if you will. And maybe it may be somewhat insightful if I think you're the kind of if you're the kind of person who thinks, oh, this my happiness is up to me how I respond. I'll handle it. I don't want to make the other person unhappy. There is that reminder there that you can't you can wrong the other person. You ought to treat the other person well. But there is also a sense in which you cannot render them unhealthy un, unhappy if you take the stoic picture seriously uh, yeah i think there's there's two points that that's a great that's a great point caleb i mean one is it makes me think when when you're at this i keep calling it intermediate level but there must be a better term for this when you're at the kind of way where you're viewing stoicism as a set of tools then you really apply those tools to your disposition right so if i'm a kind of person who tends to be less confrontational i go wow stoicism has given me a way to be less confrontational more effectively it's given me a framework to think about my lack of confrontation uh, as, well, it's all up to me. It's in my control uh, to change my perspective. And then if, you're, if you are confrontational, stoicism, I guess, gives you a set of tools to, as you said, say, well, it's your problem. You know, like that's your, that's just how you're thinking about it. You know, right. change your perspective uh, and then I won't seem so bad. And so it's like, it's like almost like, you know, I think people have different dispositions I guess for clarity's sake, where do you think you fall on that spectrum? Are you the kind of person who tends to um, make space for other people, or are you the kind of person who tends to like uh, advocate for yourself? Um, I would say that it's pretty. It's I would say that a, a bit of a mix. I think I'm generally somewhat disagreeable by <laughs> temperament, which I don't know if you would agree with that or not. Um, but also fairly relaxed, and I think in certain re- relationships or context then i might lean less on the confrontational side um so you're, you're, dis- you're gonna yeah, say yeah. you're disagreeable but can't be bothered is what you're saying <laughs> maybe so maybe so i'm not sure if i have a general disposition on this sort of interesting thing that, that while reading over this i was sort of thinking about that you know do i because i do find it useful to think about do i have you know which side of the problem 
do I have when it comes to bravery? Am I reckless or cowardly, too tepid? Uh, and in this, it's it's not it's not actually that clear to me if I have a general disposition. Yeah. But so, Caleb, you just you just read this over, and you're like, I'm perfectly in the middle. I don't <laughs> have anything. I just observe the other people as they struggle on either side of this, and I I float through unscathed. Must be nice. No, I'm trying to say I'm all over the place. That's what I'm trying to say. It's like, yeah, yeah, you're uh, you fluctuate wildly. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a good point. I mean, with my bias, I was entirely just taking this question from the like passivity point but there is that point there you can there is just this also this aggressive point and we want to kind of have we're overbearing i guess not aggressive and the we like in anything else we want that healthy middle we want that aristotelian mean here um not too passive not too overbearing i think another reason that someone studying or learning about stoicism um might question or might be poorly passive might be over passive is that they might start to look at other people that set up boundaries or are really good at enforcing their boundaries and might start to see the the vice in that or the mistake in that so they see these people who are you know the person who's strongly motivated by honor or reputation and they feel they need to get revenge you know if somebody if a friend scorns them or a relationship somebody in a relationship treats them wrong um then you can start to see the, this kind of action as well. That person's not actually really standing up for themselves. They're actually just having a kind of passion, right? They're pursuing mm -hmm. anger. They're pursuing vengeance. And that's not really setting the boundary. That's just, uh, that's just like suffering from a passion. And it kind of, it frames a lot of that in a different light, which I guess would say, I guess I would, there, there's kind of two issues here of being too confrontational, too passive, and then there's the kinds of confrontations which are just bad confrontations to have, ones that you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't be having. And I think when you start studying stoicism, you start to see that a lot more, and you start to say, mm, maybe I don't really want to be like that. Um, right. So as we've said, the 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 right stoic exists in the middle, not the punching bag, but not quick to anger, not quick to justify revenge and passions as well. I'm just standing up for myself, or I'm just setting a, a boundary here. Well. I it's, it's it's sort of interesting how it seems like this gets complicated very quickly because you're thinking about first, you know, how do I set my boundaries for different relationships, different kinds of relationships, and then once they're set, you know, how do I communicate them? What do I do to communicate or enforce a boundary well? And I think that is especially something that connects with your last point where. We see people set what might be reasonable boundaries, but then not enforce them well, whether that's by how they communicate their boundary or how they might lash out once it's been violated. So, so, so it's interesting that you have, you have these different aspects around, you know, setting, communicating, enforcing them well, and then thinking about, okay, like, how do you, how do you do each of these parts well? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that's probably going to be pretty contingent on, on different relationships. Yeah, that's a really great point. Like if you're like, like I'm gonna, I, I don't know how to do this without picking a silly example. So, bear with me. But you know, if you're like, hey, don't call me, don't call me a silly name that hurts my feelings. Please don't do it. And then somebody does it, and then you then, you know, beat them up, uh, you know, beat them into a bloody pulp. So, well, that was a good boundary. That was probably a healthy boundary to ask for. But your enforcing is all wrong there, right? Something like this, like probably a good thing to ask for good line in the sand to draw, but you've really gone overboard when that line has been crossed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like John Wick style. You don't need to do that for every, <laughs> every time a boundary's been crossed. Yeah, yeah I'm going to yeah. find your family. I'm going to find your children. Or find I'm your associates, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, John Wick wouldn't go for the children. He's a, yeah, that's he's right. a, <laughs> a lawful good man, but somebody else might. Yeah, so there's this idea of, and I guess you, I guess that, um, just a philosophical meander here for a bit. There is almost that kind of lawful evil in movies you see. Not John Wick, but there's something of like, you know, uh, you cross the line, right? Like you're, I don't know, you're in the mafia and it's like, we, may, we had a deal and you broke the deal and now I'm going to come for you and I'm going to, you know, harm you in some way that's incredibly disproportionate to the harm that I felt. And in some way that feels like there's some sort of honor to that, some sort of justice to that. Because the person maybe deserves to be punished, but the disproportionality is like very 
mm-hmm. uh, very severe. Right, right. Um, great. Well, let's try to let's try to untangle this mess a little bit. So, I try to take a run at what I think the Stoic answer to this would be, and I would say that the Stoic response, I suspect, would be to say, first of all, recognize that this is a matter of indifference. Um, so, having a boundary actually be enforced is strictly speaking indifferent. We've used enforce to kind of mean actions, but having it be respected, I would say, uh, is indifferent. So if I say, look, don't don't insult me. I'm not friends with people who insult me. And somebody insults you, that actually being insulted is still indifferent. You haven't been harmed in a robust way. Um, you can still flourish even if that person insults you. As indifference, how we navigate them is not indifferent. They, it matters the use we make of them, matters how we act in response to them. So our character is dependent upon the choices we make around these things. So the stoic, so the harm argument stands true, but this idea that just because I'm not harmed doesn't mean I should have to put up with somebody else's verbal abuse, that does not stand true. So in terms of, and I'm realizing now a lot of these are coming from that kind of passive angle. So feel free, let's let, maybe we can chat a bit at the end about that more kind of what do you do uh, if you're overbearing or you're kind of too strong and you're enforcing to reel that back in. But the Stoic, I think the the first way a Stoic would think about good boundaries is to decide your role. So to decide what you're willing to fight over and stick to it. So it would be to have a boundary, to have that line in the sand, and then not change that line. So we talked about this idea of like, well, my coworker is confronting me and I'll change my perspective. The issue with that kind of play is that if you've if you've drawn a line in the sand, you've asked for something, and then you then reneg it once it's been established, well then you're not actually taking the stoic position at all. You're just avoiding confrontation. Right? Mm-hmm. You have to you have to then follow through with the consequences of somebody uh, violating that boundary, which is going to look probably like confrontation, which uh, could be an awkward conversation with a coworker, or it could be uh, getting, you know, tortured in, in Epictetus's time, it's going to look like, it, it could look like a range of things. But you, you're, you're first, you're thoughtful about the line you're drawing. You're thoughtful about the consequences of what that line will be. And then once you draw it, you stick to it. So I have a, I have a line from Epictetus here, a passage from Epictetus. Um, Helvidius Priscus saw this too, and having seen it, acted upon it. And that's him saying he saw this, um, this idea about fulfilling your roles and the importance of it. When Vespasian sent word to him to tell him not to attend a meeting of the Senate, he replied, it lies in your power not to allow me to be a senator, but as long as I remain one, I have to attend its meetings. Well, if you do attend, hold your tongue. If you don't ask of my opinion, I'll hold my tongue, but I'm bound to ask you. And I, for my part, must reply as I think fit. But if you do, I'll have you executed. Well." When have I ever claimed to you that I'm immortal? You fulfill your role and I'll fulfill mine. It is yours to have me killed and mine to die without a tremor. It is yours to send me into exile and mine to depart without a qualm. And Helvidius is, that's just an example of a Stoic holding, holding a boundary, right? Hel- mm-hmm. Helvidius has, has, has decided, well, look, I'm going to take this role of a senator. I'm going to understand that this, this role requires me um, to say no when somebody asks me uh, to, to remain silent or to lie. And I'm aware of the fact that that's going to lead to confrontation. And I'm going to accept that confrontation. And so what I'm not going to do, I'm not going to be malleable about changing my perspective about that line I drew, about the role of a senator. That's not malleability in any sort of moral way. That's just kind of, uh, I don't know, ignorance. That's kind of removing, uh, absconding yourself of responsibility. I'm going to be malleable about the way that I think about the consequences of holding that boundary, which is I'm not going to say, oh, I'm so terrified of being punished for telling the truth as a senator. I'm going to confront that with bravery. So there's still that freedom of perspective, but I'm using the freedom of perspective to reframe the way I think about the confrontation. I'm not using the freedom of perspective to renege or to change my perspective on the actual boundary I enforce that corresponds to my role as a senator. So I think that's I think that's a... A simple example, but a pretty profound one. What do you think? I think that general principle is is key and a good one to have front and center. This idea of deciding what your role is and what that 
looks like. It almost really comes before this issue of determining what your boundaries are, right? Because once Helvidius Priscus has taken on the role of becoming a senator, the next question is, you know, what does being an excellent senator look like? And then he just decides to act uh, in accordance with that. Uh, in a way, it really is just just that simple. Um, and I think that that probably is is one of the the key, I suppose, stoic strategies for this kind of issue is figuring out what is that role, what does it look like to be excellent in that role, almost before you get to these issues of, of setting boundaries or also thinking about when there is that conflict, to what extent have you been playing your role well? What would that look like? How would that change, change the landscape mm -hmm. too? And so... Yeah, I think that's I think that's dead on. And then if we go back, there's different kinds of roles. We talked about role ethics before, mm -hmm. but like, and if we you go back to somebody insulting you, I mean, I think you have to think a lot about what it means to be a person, you know. So maybe if it's a relation, if it's a friendship, you think, well, uh, part of what it means to be a friend is to not insult each other. So if this person's insulting me, I'm going to not be their friend. You know, you might think this has been a violation of a rule, uh, and it's my job to honestly tell them that and warn them that. And if they continue to do that, to to not be friends with them, it's 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 about you know defining that, um, and that that also I'm realizing now you know it gives you it gives you this this way to navigate different circumstances because maybe you don't think it's the role of a human being to never be insulted, so you're walking down the street and some random person yells at you, you don't think well it's my role to stand up for myself and my honor, but but so you don't have a you don't have a means to, or you don't have a stoic grounds to get offended in that point, but you do have a stoic grounds if it's a friendship, if it's a relationship, if it's a coworker, because you think, well, now we're violating, um, we're violating the, the, the norms of this relationship, this particular context. And that's mm -hmm. what I'm going to be sticking up for. I think that's something that I struggled with a lot when I was getting to stoicism. Well, it's like, well, well, if words don't matter, then they never matter. But it's this idea of, well, they 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 might not matter to your you know your equanimity as a human being but they do matter to your friendship they do matter to your relationship and it's okay to kind of uh to have um again have a confrontation or have a boundary along those lines right mm -hmm. yeah yeah absolutely i was just leafing through meditations chapter 1 before this just to see Meditation chapter one is when Marcus Aurelius notes all the people he's learned from, and it's a, almost a gratitude exercise of people who have influenced him. And I was curious, did he praise anyone for how they set good boundaries? And I might add a few uh, others here, but one example is there is one uh, person named Catalyst, um, or maybe it's Severus. Well, it's either Severus or Catalyst, but he, he <laughs> praises for communicating his preferences clearly and such that his friends were never in confusion about what he did like or not uh, which is interesting because i think if you remember from role ethics you have your roles as a human your role with uh as a particular person with certain capabilities and then your social roles you're born into a family your friendships and it's the very last one that has to do with preferences and even there marcus aurelius is noting that that's important to communicate those well even if they might seem trivial in some sense uh, but there's something admirable and not being hidden or expecting others to try figure that out what you want in certain situations yeah this idea that like being clear about who you are and wh what your values are and what you stand for um can be a real virtue in friendship that the, the meekness is not necessarily the ultimate virtue of a stoic you know being pleasant to be around being um the kind of person who acquiesces to challenges is not necessarily the kind of thing you want out of a friend it's not mm -hmm. it's not uh necessarily a virtue uh, it's very context specific yeah i have it here as as his uh his brother severus yeah yeah exactly um Right. Yeah. That's, 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 yeah. So, and, and I think about that in terms of the role of friendship a lot, which is that, you know, friendship is, is something between two equals, you know? Um, mm -hmm. 
and you have to kind of you have to bring yourself into that as an equal um and uh so really advocate for yourself and where you stand and things like this so that's that's the first one so that's the first thing a stoic would say is like look so say look decide your role your role is going to come with a set of boundaries particular to the situation or the dynamic and then figure out what those are and stick to those and face the consequences that come with those of sticking to those don't move those but rather recontextualize the way you look at the consequences as not being things you can control but it's just you know that's that's outside of your control that's that's right right whoever said i was immortal right as priscus says here if if i end up with somebody who's going to tell me to lie then i'm going to end up dying because i'm not going to lie uh-huh. um that's that's number one the other thing the other idea also from epictetus i i phrase this as once you've decided what those boundaries are you know be strong about them stick to them but i think another point that epictetus makes is to be skeptical about what society or culture tells you matters um and i have the the quote here i i use this one all the time this is one of my favorites but it's epictetus uh passage about holding the chamber pot um and i i could paraphrase it but essentially someone asks him you know the chamber pot is you know where, where people go to the bathroom and the slave has been asked to hold it and says look i i don't want to face the consequences of not holding it but i don't want to hold it because it's shameful and epictetus's point is like basically like yeah like i can't tell you what to do here or at least the way i read the passage you've got to make that up for yourself you've got to decide you know how much do you value uh that kind of social honor or that kind of that shame of, of doing the job versus how much do you value not getting beaten? And that's like, that's, that's your own discretion to make. And that's your own decision to make. Mm-hmm. Um, it's again, a very serious, a very intense example because this is in the Roman times. Um, but I, I, I point here as I take it is that, um, we, we all have different preferences and different opinions about these things. So some will gladly do the dirty work but others will gladly accept the consequences of not doing it for, for, for the privilege of not having to do it. This is a personal decision. Um, it's done by knowing yourself and then standing by it. But I think the other point here is that Epictetus is calling into question the, which I think is the slave's initial reaction, which is like, how could, I, how could anyone ever ask me to do this? It's obviously impossible for a human being to do this because it's so shameful. And Epictetus's point, I think, is that you know you don't need to honor this boundary set by society you need to you can think for yourself about what your boundaries are and for yourself what your uh values are in this situation you don't need to defend your honor in this kind of case or if someone insults you um that's not a boundary you have to set that's that's a choice you make and so deciding for yourself you know what are the boundaries that you need that's a that's a personal question and one i guess that society often does a very poor job of providing us and I, I guess to take a step back and to phrase this frame this differently, the Stoic says, look, once you pick your boundaries, you know, stand by them literally to the death in some cases. Um, but then the, the, the second part by the Stoic is that these boundaries should be self-generated. They shouldn't be casually committed to because society tells you. So the Stoic is going to shake their head at, you know, there's this very masculine picture of somebody, you know, somebody bumps into them and like, whoa, what's, what's your problem, bro? Like, What's going on? You want to fight about it? And in one sense, that's kind of that's a boundary setting. It's like you bumped into me and you need to apologize. But the Stoic is going to kind of scoff at this situation because that's a, I would say, kind of a societally generated uh it's a it's a fight around something that that doesn't really matter, honor in a way that doesn't really correspond to what honor really means, and all of these kinds of things. Um so stick to your boundaries, but be very careful about the ones you pick and pick them consciously because you know, even something, even something as shameful or seemingly shameful or embarrassing as these really kind of dirty work, Epictetus is going to say, "Oh, well, I don't know. I don't like you. You decide is that if that's if that's right for you or not. Don't just don't be embarrassed by it just because it's something that you know you've been taught is embarrassing." That's at least that's my reading of it. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think that's a that's a great point. There's a point of um the fact that we might have we that because we have different roles we're going to be need to think through what our boundaries are. And those are going to be different from person to person, circumstance to circumstance. And then there's also the other point that many of what we take these roles to be the common view about them is to some extent 
corrupted or at least were misled by others' default opinions about them. And I think right. both of those are, are, are well taken. I think to put a to put another example, I think to move into the contemporary era that a lot of people probably think about in terms of where I think you can see some amount of flexibility is with how much time do people invest in work? You know, are you the kind of person who will be messaging people well into the night? You're always online. You'll sacrifice any personal relationships for your career because maybe you've chosen that this is something that's exceptionally important to my life to do something great to contribute through my career, whatever it happens to be. And of course, there are particular questions about when that judgment is correct. But I think there are some times where yeah, there's someone who are, people are completely dedicated to their career, they're obsessed with it in a sense that's admirable. Um, and then others might notice the, that push to be more online than they want, to invest more time than they want to, and see that, that cuts up against my personal relationships, my family. And I don't want to do that. And uh, it's reasonable for them to draw draw the line in the sand there. And I think that the the person you don't want to be is the person who sort of slides into one of those uh, scenarios, not out of their own uh, intentional thinking, but just because that's sort of the, the social default or something of, of that sort. Yeah, I think that's a great example. I was also thinking along the similar lines about the example of like a relationship, let's say, of like, you know, well, your partner shouldn't, uh, they shouldn't talk to an ex or they shouldn't, uh, they shouldn't have guy friends or friends that are girls or something like this. And it's like, you can think of this idea of like, well, if that's something you're really committed to, understand that, know that about yourself, enforce that uh, openly from the get-go. Not enforce it, but like lay that line from the get-go. But um don't just like, don't believe that. Don't just make that a thing because, you know, somebody else has told you that, right? Like have your own opinion about it. As you said, don't slide into these kind of strong opinions or these kind of strong perspectives either way about what that role might look like just out of it, just non-reflectively. Right, right. Yeah. And I think as the Epictetus example shows you, especially when you want to avoid the case where you care about something like that, you care about, you know, who, I don't, your, how many friends of the opposite sex your partner has but you don't do anything about it and then you just sort of stew and, and yeah. resent or something like that so you certainly want to uh, certainly don't want to find yourself in, in that situation as well um yeah and i think probably relationship norms is a, a very good example of a case where you there are so many messages many of them conflicting and one does need to, to think through and work with others and determining what what that what, what that's actually going to be, uh, so I suppose that's a sort of a bit of a vague s sentiment. But there are yeah there are just so many misleading messages, and perhaps if I think maybe if there's any upshot from that, it's that one, one should have some amount of flexibility with what what excellence looks like in in personal relationships, romantic relationships. Yeah, live ref like reflect act be reflective about what what that means, what excellence in a relationship means to you. Um, and then try to be like Severus. That's what I'll do now. Everyone will know. Everyone will know what I think about it. A third point, last point, point I wanted to hear was this idea of, I think because we're dealing with indifference, uh, we want to enforce boundaries for pragmatic reasons, but not for ego reasons. This is a really good, those were kind of high level principles. I think those are both true. But in terms of like what I do for myself when I'm doing this is I, I often just say, look, is this a, is there a pragmatic benefit to having this line in the sand? Like, is this, does this reflect what I, act, do I want to live with the consequences of having this line in the sand? Or am I just doing this because I, you know, I don't want to get my ego hurt or it's about some way that I can conceptualize myself or some sort of um, really kind of shallow reason for it. And I think of this example, my, my, my dad, who runs a martial arts school, he was a bouncer for a long period of time. He used to give this like seat at the bar example all the time when I would talk about like when I was younger as a kid and talking about like having conflicts or fighting with other kids. And the seat at the bar, the example is it's this story basically where if you're traveling and you go to some bar and you're in some city you've never been in before and you're in some bar you've never been in before and you sit down at, at the bar and some big 
mean, tough looking guy taps you on the shoulder and goes like, Hey, like that's my seat. Like get out of my seat. Punk kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you, how do you respond to that? Well, the, the masculine ideal at the time or in action movies might be, you know, yeah, you, you knock him out for questioning your honor. But the, 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 the argument at, for this is like, you say, Oh, sorry, I didn't realize. And you get up and you, you, you leave and you, you give them your seat. Right. But if you're at your bar in your town that you're a regular at sitting at your seat and somebody comes up and taps you on the shoulder and says, Hey, that's my seat. Like get out of it. Well, then you, then you fight. Um, and you know, you might lose that fight, but you fight. Uh, and the point there is it's, it's, uh, the point there is, is, uh, I, it's, it's this pragmatic thing of, you know, the, the idea, the boundary can't be, well, I'm the kind of person that doesn't let that happen to me. I'm the kind of person that nobody says those kinds of things to me. Nobody treats me that way because then that becomes, uh, I think it becomes an ego argument. It becomes a kind of because every context is going to be different, right? Mm-hmm. But if it becomes instead, well, look, you know, in this particular context, I have really good pragmat, I have really good reasons for holding this boundary and I'm going to do it. Even if, you know, I'm a senator and they're going to kill me, even if they're going to throw me in jail. This is, this is my bar. This is my, this is my life. This is the thing that I've decided to care about and I'm going to face the consequences of it. But, you know, if it's not my bar, I'm just going to, I'm just going to leave the seat. And so, you know, you can do that in anything else, but you know, that's the same thing. It kind of alludes to that example I was giving earlier. You're walking down the street and somebody insults you like, well, you know, sure, whatever. (laughs) It doesn't matter to me. Right. Uh, somebody flips you off in traffic. Doesn't matter. Um, uh, but you know, a friend does something. Well, that's a, that's a, now, now we need to have a conflict. Now we need to have a discussion about that because this is, this is my bar, so to speak. Um, I always thought that was a good story and it's something that I think about in this kind of, in this kind of setting. Yeah. I think, I think there's also a, a, a good heuristic there, which is just checking in. Is that initial conflict driven by my principles about what I think is needed, the stuff that really matters to me, that's meaningful to me in the story of my life, or is it just this immediate ego reaction? You know, someone's asking me to move in a foreign bar and I need to stick up for something, or is it mm-hmm. a different picture of, no, this is how I am in my community. This is in fact where I usually sit. Uh, that's, that's, that's my you know, quick reaction to that story. Mm-hmm. I think it, it also reminds me of the fact that I th- in Epictetus, you see some of his examples you see someone stealing a lamp from him and he's mm. pretty nonchalant. He doesn't care. He doesn't mm. care about that lost lamp at all. But then he'll give another example. He gives an example of someone threatening to cut off his beard. And he says, no way. I'm not going to let you cut off my beard. No. And um, you might think, well, Epictetus, you wouldn't let someone cut off your beard even if he was threatening to do so by force. And... F- the, for Epictetus, the backstory is that that beard is sort of his badge as a philosopher, and someone asking him to do that would sort of be like, I don't know if you were just walked up to a fireman and asked him to change his uh, <laughs> suit or something like this. And uh, so it's not this doesn't have the same symbolism uh, that it does for us today, but there is that difference where Epictetus, the lamp, that's so foreign to him. That's just a material object. Whereas him playing this role as a philosopher, that's something worth defending. And it's worth also defending how he expresses that to to other people. Yeah. I think if I had to summarize the, you know, that seat at the bar story with what you just said, the stoic is the kind of person who will both not care or care very much, right? They will, they will not make a big deal out of it or they will make a very strong deal out of it. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's really the approach. That's really the, the overall lesson here is like, there's another line with Epictetus where he's like, you know, somebody insults him and he's like, well, I must've not known my, must've not known all my other flaws or he would have said those too, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so it's like, in some cases there's, I, I don't care. Uh, I'm going to be very, I guess, very flowy, very light, very easy going on the things I don't care about very strong, very secure on the things I do care about. And mm-hmm. that requires that kind of self-knowledge. Uh, and I, I think it's a pretty healthy picture, right? It's a much healthier picture than the picture of passivity we gave before or the picture of kind of over, 
uh, running people over because you know, I, well, it's, it's their job to deal with their feelings. I'm not, I'm not causing their feelings. <laughs> they're they're responsible for their feelings. Um, and so I I I like that picture. Uh, so I guess if we had to summar if I had to summarize those principles, it's like know yourself, know your roles and what matters to you. Pick a, a small set of boundaries that are associated with those and enforce those and accept that enforcing those comes with consequences. Uh, but don't try to live a life. If you try to live a life where you don't enforce your boundaries because you're afraid of the consequences, it's not going to be one that's true to yourself. It's not going to be one I think that embodies any sort of sense of courage or respect for humans of which you are one, right? Who has mm -hmm. opinions and interests and, uh, you know, like that. But likewise, um, if those boundaries, if those things that are important to you are grounded in poor reasons or things that aren't stoic reasons like ego, um, the, the need to kind of control or manipulate others, then, you know, we, we, we scratch all those, those, those don't count. And those count as being kind of, um, that's not enforcing a boundary that is, um, or it is in a sense, but it's a poor boundary and one that you should look to reevaluate. So I, I wanted to end with some ideas of like what unhealthy boundaries look like or stoic position is not to have unhealthy boundaries. Um, and so I have, I have here ego-driven confrontations. I think those are ones, ones that are, um, rely on preserving your reputation um, in a kind of, uh, in a way where you, you feel like your reputation really matters. Um, and and that, that's, 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 you know, you've placed too much importance on it. Um, confrontations in general that assume you're vulnerable. So this idea, like people are often will lash out if they think they're really at risk. So that kind of lashing out because you think, well, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really vulnerable here. That's not very stoic because stoic wants to, you know, have that strength in these situations, even if they hold those bound their boundaries. Um, boundaries society tells you matter, but don't matter to you personally. That's one we've talked about uh, with the relationship and the work examples. And then finally, I, I think we hit on that at the end is things that seem like boundary setting, but are actually manipulative, dominating, or cruel. Um, you know, I can, you, we can go back to the relationship example. And it's like, well, my boundary is that you, you know, <laughs> you have none, you, you get to do none of these things. You have no friends, uh, you know, you, you don't go outside. And it's like, wow, that doesn't really seem like a, there's almost a limit when we're using the word of boundary. It's almost a limit as compared to like a want or a need. Uh, and boundaries are almost defensive. And if these things start becoming proactive, you're kind of co-opting this language for things that are proactively dominating, manipulative. And that, that's not obviously not the same thing that we're talking about here. Right, right. Yeah, those are, those are uh, good heuristics for less than ideal, less than ideal uh, boundaries, uh, for sure. Any uh, any final thoughts on uh, or summary ideas from you? So we've we've talked a bit about a little. We've given some heuristics, some rules of thumb for knowing which boundaries are less than ideal. How you should set boundaries in line with who you are, what your role is, and so on. But then there's also the question of okay, what do you do when a boundary is violated. We know that the Stoic view is if it's something you've thought through clearly, something that matters to you, and you're confident that it has in fact been violated, then the Stoic view is you ought to assert yourself, of course. And then the next question is, well, how do you mm -hmm. how do you do that? And maybe there's there's two sort of Stoic examples we can point to. One is with Marcus Aurelius, he faces a coup from a general of his Vidius Cassius, and he does two things. One is he prepares for war with this general. This other general is commanding another army. Things could get violence very quickly. The other thing he does is he sends a note that to Avidius Cassius that if he stands down, he no charges will be pursued against him, and he does the exact same thing. He sends the exact same note. To the Senate, so he has a dual approach of uh, preparing for war, but also, to the extent that he mm. can, being forgiving and making room for peace. So perhaps that's something you can think of when you're 
in that conflict. Uh, so moving to, okay, a boundary has been violated. What do I do next? And I think the other, the other uh, sort of stoic approach to this I wanted to mention is that Seneca has a line that you ought to trust your friends fully. And then when that trust is violated, he almost has like a, a, a strike policy where if it's violated once, hmm. you, to some extent you should expect that. But if you notice that those repetitions, then depending on what kind of relationship it is, you might want to take that whatever option of exit is available to you. Um, uh, so th th those are two quick, two, two quick thoughts on that, that next step issue. Yeah, I think those are, in many ways, those are different pieces of advice because you'd mm -hmm. feel like a coup is a pretty high, you know, that maybe gets you to strike three yeah. uh, <laughs> pretty quickly. But I guess this idea is like you enforce the boundary with strength, but you're quick to forgive or not hold grudges, not be resentful. Expect that even if you hold that boundary, someone might still cross it. And now it doesn't become, well, vengeance. I need vengeance on you because I told you not to do that and you did it anyway. It becomes, well, I did my job making that line clear. Uh, and I, you know, responded, I responded to that, but now I don't need to go out and, um, I don't know, maybe kill you in Marcus Aurelius' example, but, you know, get payback in a modern example. Mm -hmm. So there's that, there's that idea of being quick to forgive, doing what's, doing what's in your control, but not trying to control the other person, right? And then, um, I guess Seneca, Seneca's always just really good with that common sense. Something to be said for just look. Even if you are the kind of person who's like really strong with your boundaries, is like people kind of screw up sometimes, and people kind of step on cross lines sometimes. And um, as long as this isn't a pattern, and as long as there's like a conversation afterwards, it doesn't have to be a one strike and you're out kind of thing. But there should be a recognition if this is becoming a pattern in a way that's unhealthy. Right. Right. I think that's a I think that's a really uh some much much gentler line to end on than yeah. uh you know a fight to the death if they <laughs> you know about your about your your line in the sand. Yeah, that's right. It's uh always been going back to these examples. It's going to be high stakes. Great. Awesome. Well, thanks thanks for putting this together. Yeah, thanks, Gil. Fun. Thanks for listening to Stoic Conversations. Please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share it with a friend. And if you'd like to get two meditations from me on Stoic theory and practice a week, just two short emails on whatever I've been thinking about, as well as some of the best resources we found for practicing Stoicism, check out stoaletcher.com. It's completely free. You can sign up for it and then unsubscribe at any time as you wish. If you want to dive deeper still, search Stoa in the App Store or Play Store for a complete app with routines, meditations, and lessons designed to help people become more stoic. And I'd also like to thank Michael Levy for graciously letting us use his music. You can find more of his work at ancientliar.com. And finally, please get in touch with us. Send a message to stoa at stoameditation.com if you ever have any feedback, questions, or recommendations. Until next time.